When I was about five years old, somebody asked me what I was going to be doing when I grew up, like they do with every child out there. We always ask, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? And I had no idea. I'd never even thought of what I was going to be when I grew up. But when they asked, I heard inside, you're going to be in service. I immediately said, I'm going to be in service. And so they said, oh, you're going to go in the military? And I went, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> but living in San Antonio, Texas, if you say the word service, you're talking about the military. <laughs> so that's what people thought I meant when I would say I was going to be in service. And so I went to my mom and I said, is that what service means, I'm going to be in the military? And she said, well, that's one, one definition for it, but let's look it up. So she looked it up and read it to me. And so then I was confused because I had all these different options to go into as far as what service was. So I remember praying on it and I kept praying, please, Lord, don't let me have to go in the military. <laughs> I just, I knew at five years old, that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> So I was praying and praying, and finally I got an answer. And they said, no, you're going to be a minister. And so I went, oh, okay, I could do that. <laughs> I kind of liked the idea of the church. And I loved the ritual of church and Sunday and Sunday school and all that. So I thought, I could do that. And so I started telling people, not service, but I was going to be a minister. But I had no idea what that was going to really look like or how that was going to unfold. But it was shortly thereafter that I began to have a lot of my inner experiences with teachers. And around the age of 10, I was shown something that began to give me a different understanding of what service was. When I was 10 years old in meditation one day, which was really a prayerful state then, they came forward and said that, that I was really going to be walking a threefold path, that there was really one way into God, but that one way had three actions to it. Just as the Father has one beingness, but three aspects, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so too there is three active qualities to the one way back into the heart of God. So I began to learn more about these three ways, which is meditation, which at the time I called prayer, study, and service. Well, I wasn't very studious. So when they showed me the three ways and one of them was study, I knew that wasn't going to be my way. I figured, well, service was going to be my way, but that's when I was going to be a minister. So I began to choose more and more into the path of prayer, which was really an action of meditation I began to understand it more as that as I grew up. But at the time, I called it prayer. So often I'll talk about it as prayer, meditation, or meditation and prayer. But it's all one and the same. It's a process of going inside and connecting back into the heart of God through your loving devotion. So that began to be the journey I walked as a child. And the journey that began to awaken me into the greater knowing of this pathway of sound and light and an understanding of what that was and is. It also began a journey for me in understanding more about what service is and isn't, as well as study. 
Now, when I first saw the word study, I thought, oh my God, I'm already having to study at school. I don't want to study more. What else is there to study? And so I avoided that for a long time until one day a teacher told me that it was now time to do study, that that which you avoid builds power and it eventually has a great power over you if you do not enter into it. And that power over you is a restrictive power. It restricts you from moving forward. It holds you back. And I was really holding myself back from my own self-growth and the inner process by not doing this action of study. So I began to look and see, well, what does this thing study is? What is it? And how do I go about doing it? And I resisted it, but I looked at it. And then they began to help me understand that it was really what I was already doing. It was self-study. It was an understanding of the self. And it often isn't found in books. It's found within yourself. It's found within your daily experience. And it's coming to the understanding of what that daily experience is. And so I remember kind of rejoicing because I already had a lot of the material for self-study, which was my journals, which I called my diaries back then. I kept a daily diary of my inner experiences and my daily life. And part of my journaling or my diary was my prayers. Every day I would write little prayers out. Almost all day long at school, I would be writing prayers in my notebook on pieces of paper and then flip it over and I'd do my, my work in class and I'd flip it back over and write another prayer and I'd flip it back over and do my study in class. And, and that's just how I lived my life. And I understood as I was doing that that I was beginning to live a daily prayer. I was making every moment a living prayer by doing it this way. And I was keeping God ever-present, ever-focused, ever as a participant in my daily life. I began to understand that this self-study isn't about going and getting a book at a library or at a bookstore and reading it from cover to cover. It wasn't about self-help books, which there weren't a lot of when I was 10 years old, 11, 12 years old. But it was about what I was already doing, which was writing down my experience and then looking at that and coming into a greater understanding by studying those experiences. By writing down my dreams and then looking at those dreams and understanding the symbology that was in the dream and decoding my symbols, I was beginning to speak the inner language more fluently. By writing down my daily experience, I was beginning to understand what experience was and is. And how to continue choosing in to the doing of that. It was during this process that I began to be very aware of how so many people avoid their daily experience and the experience that they are in the moment. They will avoid it by giving their power away to another and say, well, you make the choice. What should I do? How do I do this? Why would I want to do this? Is this right? Is this wrong? and give their power away to somebody else to make the decision or make the direction for them. Another one was, 
the game of avoidance. Well, I'll do it later. Well, I don't really want to do it. Well, I don't understand that. So how can I do it if I don't understand it? And watching people, both adults and children around me at my own age, avoiding what was there for them to do, such as avoiding their homework, avoiding participation in class, avoiding growing up, expecting mom and dad to do it all for them, avoiding their chores but wanting their allowance. I mean, I watched all this, and I remember writing all this down, observing this, and then looking at that to see, was this me? You know, not putting a judgment on them, but rather looking to see, what can I learn from everybody here? What can you teach me? Because you are my teacher. You are my way shower. You are the one that can give me an understanding of who I am so that I become the better person. And so I began at the age of 10, 11, 12 years old to really look to others for that understanding. But I didn't look to them to tell me. I looked to them to demonstrate to me what worked, what didn't work in their lives. And I began to be aware of something that was very profound to me. The people that were having their lives work for them were working their lives. They were participating in their life. They were making their choices. They were doing. They weren't avoiding. They were stepping forward and stretching themselves and taking opportunities and looking at things in a new way. Those that were not doing that were shutting down they were closing off. They were becoming less than they really were in truth by avoiding their life experience. So I began to watch and my teachers were my mom, my dad, my brother who was about 13 years older than me, eventually his wife and all that they were going through with her folks, his in-laws. It was about my teachers at school, about the ministers at the different churches I would attend, and what they said and what they didn't say and how they said it and why they said it, and just all that was around me. But one of my greatest teachers was a girl that lived next door, and her name was Diane. I used to get with her, and I would share with her things that I never shared with anybody else. I don't know why, but with her I felt safe. With her, I felt that I could share things with her and she wouldn't put a judgment on it and she wouldn't go running to her mom and saying, Mom, Mom, Jim's scaring me. <laughs> I had that happen when I was younger. And so I learned not to share with my friends because they would go into a panic and they would go running to their mom and dad saying, Jim's seen ghost, or Jim's doing this, or Jim's saying this. And so after my mom would come to me and say, Jim, stop it. You're scaring your, your friends. Don't do that. <laughs> I learned very quickly to be quiet. But for whatever reason with Diane, I found that I could share. I could open up. I could be vulnerable. In that way, I began to see that part of me that in sharing, 
came into the greater knowing. It anchored my truth by sharing it with her. And it was interesting to watch her in her process with it. She would listen, but she wouldn't really hear it. It wouldn't go in and be a part of her. She would just listen to me talk about angels, about this, about this awareness, about what I saw in my teacher today or whatever. But she didn't know what to do with it, and she didn't personalize it and take it in for her own awareness. And years later, she moved, I guess, about four years after I started this process with her. And years later, I met her at a college graduation at UT of a friend of mine. And she was also there for a graduation of somebody that she knew in San Antonio and had come up for it. It was so funny because we don't look a lot like we did then, but for whatever reason we knew each other as soon as we saw each other. We just locked eyes and we said each other's name at the same time. We sat down and we talked after the graduation for, oh, an hour, an hour and a half. And as we talked, she said, I wish I had paid more attention to what you said. She said, I remember some things that you said, but I don't remember all that you said. And I remember how you said it, but I didn't understand how to apply what you were saying. I didn't really get what you were saying at the time. But as I was growing up, and I was going through all these different relationships in my teens and in college, all of a sudden I realized that you knew something back then that I wished I knew during those periods in my life. And she said she finally realized what it was. And she said that was self-love. But she said what she heard me share in all the sharing and all that time, she got one thing, is that I understood and I knew and I lived in self-love. But it wasn't the self-love that is needy and greedy and selfish in the world self-love. It is the love of self, the spiritual self. And she said when she realized that, it was during her graduation from college, and she began a journey. She was Catholic, and so as soon as she graduated from college, she went into a convent to become a nun in hopes that that's where she would find this awareness of love. She said, I learned a lot. And in five years, I learned a great deal, but I didn't learn much about self-love. I learned about judgment. I learned about fear. I learned about obedience. And I learned about service. But I didn't learn about self-love. She said, where do I go? I left the convent. I'm now married. I have two children. What do I do? What do I do? How do I find self-love? So I began to talk to her just the way I did back then. And that was about prayer. And when I started it on prayer, the first thing is she said, Jim, I've prayed the rosary so many times. Don't talk to me about prayer. And I said, it's not that kind of prayer. It's a different kind of prayer. And I began to talk to her about a meditative state of closing your eyes and becoming quiet and being still in that quiet for a moment.
And then holding a focus of concentration so that you become one-pointed in the direction that you're going. And I said, what direction do you want to go when you're in a prayerful state? And she said, I don't know now. I used to think it was God. Then I thought it was Jesus. Then I thought it was Mary. Now I don't know. What is it? And I said, that's for you to find out. For me, it's God. For you, it may be something else. And maybe there's other things that your one-pointed focus will take you into to love first before you finally break through into the reality of loving God. And it was at that point in time that I began to understand more about this threefold path, this path of meditation and prayer, study and service. And I began to honor that part that was study more and more. I dug out all my journals and began to go through them once again and reading them. And it was an amazing process for me to see as a child the simplicity that was there. The simplicity of the path of love. The simplicity that is God. God is truly simple. But the mind in the world makes God very complex. And it's the complexity of the mind and the complexity that the world has built around what it calls God that creates that feeling of separation between us and the Lord. But as a child, I knew it to be different. I knew God was always present right now. All I had to do was turn over the other page and start writing a prayer, and God was right there in the prayer. I knew that. So I knew God was always present as a child. And all I had to do was stay in some sort of communion and communication with God to keep that action of awareness. So I began to realize through reading these journals, how much humanity has made God complex and hard and frightening, and through all of that has created this sense of separation. We've created it in such a way that we would rather just live our physical lives and not really think about God too much or look to God too much because, you know, we've done so many horrible things God doesn't really love us. God doesn't want us around. And I don't know what to do to get right with God. I sit down and I try to ask for forgiveness, but I don't even forgive myself. So how am I going to ask God to forgive me? And I can't forgive my neighbor, so how can God forgive me if I can't forgive my neighbor for what they're doing to me or what I think they're doing to me? So the world has created a real complex approach to God. And it's real challenging for a lot of people. And the one thing that I have found, and over the summer this came very clear to me, is to go forward and share with people that God is loving, and God is simple, and God is joyful. And God doesn't care what you do with the body. 
God cares what you do in the body. Now, what do you do in the body? Well, in the body, for the most part, you place your judgments, you create your fears, your anxieties, your separations. You are the creator in there. You create your life. You create your pain, your sorrow, your joy, your gratitude. You are the creator in there. It isn't what you do in the world. It's what you do inside that matters. Once you have created inside, that reflects into the world and you live that into the world. But what you do in the world doesn't really matter to God. It really is about what are you doing inside. And one thing I know is that inside is our soul, is our divine loving, is our divine knowing. And if we will just close our eyes and go inside and connect into that, all those other things that we have created will begin to melt away or come into an alignment in such a way as the loving will begin to be able to use that energy that we have misnamed, misplaced, misfocused, misused. And we will begin to live a life of simplicity, simplicity inside. And it is in that way that we can begin to experience God's simplicity, the simple Lord in the simple way. The inner way is a simple way. It's a simple path. But when we sit down, and we're not accustomed to sitting down and closing our eyes and going inside, we go, well, if I do five minutes, I'm going to be doing good. If I do 20 minutes, I'll be doing a miracle. And if he wants me to do two and a half hours, he can forget it. <laughs> but yet, there's another part of us that knows that that's the way to truly connect to our own divinity and to our own truth. Our soul is marked by God. And in that mark is a frequency that when it begins to vibrate, we want nothing more than to go home. We want nothing more than to be filled up to overflowing. We want to fill that void, that emptiness that lies within us, that longing. When the soul left the Lord to come into this creation, it left the Lord because the Lord asked us to come to experience in this reality. We weren't sent here in judgment. We weren't sent here because we did something wrong and this is our punishment. We came here because the Lord wanted a fuller understanding and experience of all that is here. And he sent you here to have that experience. So that the divine in you, when you return home, can say, Lord, I know it. Here's what it is. This is the experience. And the Lord also, in sending this out, set it up in such a way in the timetables of destiny that there would be a time of return. 
when we would have fulfilled what we came down here to do, and now it would be time to start that journey home. And when the call comes from within to return home, there is that urge to sit down and go inside, to close our eyes and to connect into that inner truth. But the mind and the emotions and the body will do all it can to resist it and say, no, 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 that's not the way, that's not the place, don't do that. You don't want to go there, that's not fun. That's boring. You're wasting your time. Don't do it. Because that part that is saying don't do it doesn't feel the call, doesn't feel the longing, doesn't feel the want to go back home to God. But the soul does. And it's up to each of us, when we do feel that longing and that urging, to begin to let the soul have greater dominance, to have greater expression in these physical experiences, in these physical vehicles called mind, emotion, and body. And so it's a matter of discipline of disciplining these lower vehicles of expression in this world and allowing through that discipline for the soul to begin to have greater freedom of expression and awakening through that discipline of sitting down and closing our eyes and going inside and connecting back to God. It's discipline. And it's through that discipline that we become the disciple we become the disciple of the Lord. We begin to walk a journey, both inner and outer, of discipline and discipleship. And in that journey, we begin to connect into those places in the world and inside of ourselves that will begin to bring us greater understanding of our truth, the truth of who we truly are and begin to help us to let go of our illusions and our beliefs that have worked against us and separated us from our truth and from the Lord all this time. But one thing I found is not to place judgment against all those things that have caused separation. I did that for a while. I placed judgment on them because I knew that those things caused separation, and I didn't like that. And I placed judgment on myself and upon those things that cause separation. And what I did is I gave those things power. I gave the element of separation greater power over me because I was judging it. So what was I doing? I was focusing on the separation. But the moment I forgave that judgment and the moment I forgave that which was the separation, I found that I was able to move my focus back towards the Lord and hold my attention on God. And then I found something quite miraculous, that God's love transforms everything, if we will just allow God's love to transform us and all that is in us and all that is around us. But that's a real challenge. You've often heard it said, thy will be done. 
Well, it really is allowing God's will to be done. And it's an amazing process to begin to be vulnerable to the movement of God's will into your daily life and to experience God's will moving into every moment of every day and realize, oh my God, I've been asking for this, I've been praying for this, thy will be done, thy will be done. And then all of a sudden you realize that God's will isn't the will that you were praying for. You were asking for certain things in God's will. You were saying, I want this and this and this, and let it be thy will. And God's will then comes in, and it's a totally different picture laid out before you, and you're going, no, no, God, didn't you hear me? I said I want this and this and this and this. And God says, no, you asked for my will. I heard all these other things, but now it's my will that's going to be done, because you have asked for that and it will be done. It's learning to bow to God's will and realize that if we can, if we will bow to God's will, we will have in our lives more, greater than anything we could have ever, ever asked for, imagined, believed ourselves into. It'll be different but it will be more, and it will be just exactly what we want, what we need, where we need to be, for our greater unfoldment, and for that inner awakening. So the process of closing our eyes and going inside is a process of discipline, a process of learning to hold a focus, a one-pointed focus, here at the seat of the soul, and then, in discipline, begin to concentrate. To concentrate on breaking through the veils that have separated us from God in all these eons of time. And that which penetrates all of those veils is loving. The loving of God. So you just bring yourself present into the loving of God. You know, Jim, I don't know if I really love God. I don't know what love is. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it looks like. You keep talking about love, love yourself, love God, love this, love that. What in the world are you talking about? It doesn't matter if you know it, if you feel it, if you believe it or not. Sit down and do it. And allow the loving to come present. You may have separated yourself so much from the loving that you may not know what it looks like. You may not know what it feels like. So you just sit down and allow it. Allow it to begin to come alive in you, to come awake in you, for you to begin to be aware of what that loving is. And the way to do that is to hold a one-pointed focus of loving towards something. And the greatest place you can place your loving is with God. Well, what is God? You keep talking about God. Where is God? Is he up in the heavens? Is he inside me? Where is he? Is he in the earth? He is in a tree out in the street? Where is he? That's for you to find in this action of loving. If you hold in one-pointed focus at the seat of the soul, and learn to hold your focus there, 
by holding a concentrated focus of loving and focus that loving in a concentrated way towards God, you will begin to understand loving and you will begin to know and understand and experience God in many different ways. And you will begin to see the power of love and the power of meditation. But it isn't done by sitting down and letting the mind ramble on and you following after the mind. Now, when you sit down and you go into a concentrated, focused meditation, you may find that you're holding a focus and the mind is also going on. That's okay. Let that be okay. The mind will ramble on and try to distract you, and all you have to do is go, not right now, I'm doing this. And eventually, the mind will begin to follow your thoughts. Energy follows thought. So as you begin to discipline yourself in the holding of this focused, concentrated, loving, your mind eventually will begin to move with it. And the reason it will move with it is because the experiences that you have in this concentrated focus of loving will also be an experience for the mind. The mind will taste something, will feel something, will see something that it has never experienced before. And it will go, what was that? Oh my God, I want more of that. How did you do that? Can we go back and do that again? And all of a sudden, it will be pushing you to sit down and meditate because it wants more of that. But it may take time for that to develop. And that's where discipline is very important, to realize that it took a long time, maybe many lifetimes, for you to become lazy and lax, to where the mind and the emotions and the body has had dominance over who you truly are. And it may take time for you to penetrate through all that laziness and to get back in touch with the truth of who you are. And it takes time and effort and patience. It's a daily process. Sit down, close your eyes, go inside, and begin to hold a focus at the third eye, at the seat of the soul, at the tenth door. And to begin just holding your loving there. You can simply say, Lord, I love you, over and over and over and over. And that will work. You can say a prayer, such as the Lord's Prayer, or any prayer, over and over and over. And if you do it in a focused, concentrated, loving action, you will begin to see a penetration through the veils of separation and begin to connect back into your inner truth. The path of sound and light is a path of action. It's a path of inner action, of going inside and being active inside, enchanting the name of God inside over and over and over, bringing your attention 
to that seat of the soul and drawing up the soul quality of who you are out of matter and back up unto itself, collecting it fully unto itself. And then in that self, wake up and know the self that you are as soul. And then in that awakeful state, go out the tenth door and travel the realms of spirit. But first, you may find that you're going to be traveling the inner kingdom. You may not go out of body. You may go in body. You may travel the inner kingdom. In ancient times, the path of initiation in several different paths and teachings had two different actions to it. There was the inner pathway and the outer pathway. And the inner pathway, you had to walk yourself. You had to come into the greater knowing and understanding and eventually control of that inner kingdom. And when you had accomplished that, then and only then could you go to an outer teacher and seek approval from the outer teacher for the initiations that would begin to take you on the outer journey. In the Kabbalistic tradition, you have the Tree of Life. And you have the ten names upon that tree. Five of them relate to the inner kingdom, and five of them relate to the outer kingdom. And it was up to you to first conquer the inner kingdom and to bring that into alignment and to balance. And that was done through three elements, as it is today. Meditation and prayer, self-study and service. And that pathway has been the pathway since humanity has been on this planet. Since humanity first came in to this creation, that pathway has been before each of us, waiting for us to walk it. So that we have the pathway of meditation. And that pathway of meditation does begin with the inner journey. Understanding the inner kingdom, the inner self. What is it you believe? What is it you think? What is it you feel? What is true and what is not? And why do you give power to certain things inside there and not to others? And how can you bring all that into alignment so that it all begins to align to the greater self and to the greater loving in the self? How do you do forgiveness and acceptance and vulnerability so that that inner kingdom begins to truly come alive and awake and filled with the radiance of your own soul's light? so that you can begin to walk the outer journey in your meditation as well. So that you can also then receive the names of God in initiation and begin the journey through the tenth door and into the realms, the outer realms of spirit. As above, so below. So we must live in balance and in harmony, inward and outward, where they are all the same, where there is loving 
inside and loving in the outer kingdom with God as well, where it's all in balance, in harmony, and one. So it's first take responsibility for your inner self, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your reactions within yourself. One way to do that is self-study. Each day, write out what is going on in your life. You might want to carry a little notepad with you and write down any great awarenesses that you have during the day. Because you may find that your meditation doesn't really do much for you. You sit there and you chant Anahu, you chant you, you say your Lord's Prayer, you say, Lord, Lord, I love you, I love you, God, I love you. And then you become quiet and see what might come present and nothing seems to happen. So you go back into your prayerful state and nothing seems to be happening there either. But then you get up and you go through the day and as you're doing the day, all of a sudden, these little glimpses of awareness and awakening and enlightenment come in. Oftentimes, that comes forward because of what you did earlier in the day in your meditation. You set forward an avenue for insight to come forward. But it may not come forward in the meditation. It may come forward during the day when you're totally distracted. You may be sitting there at some level in your meditation going, okay, now I'm waiting. Where is it? What's going to happen? What am I going to learn here? Show me something. Tell me something. And you may not even have that consciously going, but on an unconscious level, you may have it running. And that may actually be that which holds back the inner experience in your meditation. And that's okay. Especially if it's unconscious, what are you going to do about it? You're just going to live it. But then you get up and you go during the day and all of a sudden you're busy, you're at home, you're cleaning the house, or you're at work and you're doing paperwork, or you're on the phone, or you're driving the car, and your mind is totally distracted, you're focused somewhere, even your unconscious is focused somewhere other than the meditative experience, and the experience then can slip into your conscious mind and you know it for a moment. You have the awakening, you have the enlightenment, you have an awareness. Write it down, because you may find it's there and then it's gone. So write it down when you get it. You can carry a little tape recorder around in the car and just record it. Or jot down a few key words of what the experience was, so that you can go back and by those key words, recapture the experience and put it all down and anchor it into your conscious mind as awareness, and then see how you can begin to apply that into your daily life. And that leads you into the whole action of self-study, of studying the self. And the inner self is that which you are going to be studying. Who am I really? What am I running inside really? And how can I bring that into a balance? where the inner spirit begins to have dominion and greater freedom. And then there's that other part that is service. Now, maybe for some of you it might be military, I don't know, I hope not. But if it is, then go do the military and get the discipline that is there. 
And that's one way to learn discipline. And that's one way to learn how to stay focused and attentive and get things done is in the military. But it's an outer focus. It's not necessarily an inner discipline. True service is first service to yourself and your meditation. The first service is to sit down and meditate. Give 10% of the day to the Lord. Give some time to God each day. What does it say? But God said, have no other gods before me. So sit down and have no other God before you than God. And what is God but love? So have nothing before you but loving. And be in the loving and focus into the loving. And let the loving live in you and move in you and transform you. Because that's what God is. And that's what God does. If you allow God loving in. So the first level of service is to yourself in meditation. The next level of service is to yourself and how you live that meditation into the world. Begin to be a living prayer. So take the loving that begins to live in you in your meditation and begin to live it in the world and love everyone around you. You don't have to like them. Boy, when I learned that one, that was a great one. Because... I thought, oh, God, I have to love my enemies. So I thought I had to like them. And then one day, I was talking to a minister at a Baptist church. And he said, so what is it that you have learned here so far? And I said, to love your enemy as, as yourself, to love your enemy. And he says, oh, that's a big one. And what are you doing with that? And I said, I don't like it because I don't like loving my enemy because I don't like them. And he said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have to like them. You just have to love them. And when I realized that I don't have to like them, that was pretty nice <laughs> because I realized I didn't have to be around them. I could love them from afar, but I didn't have to have them as my friend living with me, working with me, going to school with me, or whatever that might be. I learned a great deal from that Baptist minister that day, that I did not have to like my enemy. I just was to love them. Not to judge them, not to create separation with them, but to love them and accept them just as they are, but then choose how I want to participate with them. So that's the next level of service. And then, after taking the loving both to God and then into your daily life, it's look to see how can that loving be expressed in your daily life in a greater way. If you have a mate in the world, then that's where your loving next goes, is to love your mate. And hopefully like them too. <laughs> that's another one I learned. <laughs> Because I watched a lot of people out there that love their mates, but they don't like them. And I learned a lot from watching that dynamic go on. So love your mate and also find the way to like them if you don't. So that you can be in the loving and in the like with them 
and really have companionship and friendship and fellowship with them. Then you move the loving to your children if you have children. Then you move that loving on out to your extended family called your parents, called your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters, your nieces, your nephews, all of that which is your family. And then if there's time and energy and loving left over, you extend that loving on out into the world. And that is another level of service. Now, what is the service that I'm talking about? Oftentimes, when people hear the word service in the context of spirit, they immediately see themselves as doing good in the world. I've got to go out and I've got to do good. I've got to go feed the hungry. I've got to go clothe the naked. I've got to go and take care of the ill. I've got to house those that don't have houses. I've got to do all these things. But that's not what it's really talking about. It's being loving and then seeing how that loving wants to manifest in you and through you. First it's in meditation, then with yourself, then with your mate and your children. Now you may find that somewhere in there that the expression of service pretty well stops and has its boundaries right there. Your day is full. You're loving God in meditation. Then you're loving yourself as you get up and go do the day. You're loving your mate as you do the day. You're loving your children by being responsible and loving and caring with them. And part of that action is also going to work and making the money or taking care of the house or whatever it might be in the day. And you might find right there your boundaries are pretty well defined as far as what service looks like. Because your day is full and maybe even overflowing in this action of service. But you may find it also extends out and all of a sudden you have an in-law living with you or you're going over to the in-laws to cut their grass because they can't do that anymore. And so your service boundaries grow a little bit more in order to do that. But in all of that, it's called take care of yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't give falsely. If you give falsely, you don't hurt yourself only. You hurt the other person because you're not really giving out of love. You're giving out of need, out of expectation, out of greed. And then it creates an element that is no longer loving. It is hurtful. It is hurtful to yourself and it is hurtful to the one that you're doing it with and to. So be aware that true service is loving. And service can also be a process of sharing. Sharing your wisdom, sharing your loving, sharing your talents, and sharing your money. You may find that you have a friend who has MS. And so you feel that you want to start giving to the MS Society that they might be able to have the funds by which to do the research to heal your friend and to heal all the people that have MS. Or you may see something on TV that stirs you to give to a certain hospital such as St. Jude's. 
or you may be on a plane coming back from another country and there on your dinner plate is a little envelope saying give us your change that you cannot use anymore and can't exchange give us your foreign currency to UNICEF and we will put it to use in feeding the hungry children and so that's another form of service but the law of service is is to give of your overflow to give of your abundance not to give to where you go into lack God doesn't say give me 90% and then go do 10% God says give me 10% and then go do the 90% so it is in your life if you're giving money to some place give of the overflow don't give where you hurt yourself take care of yourself first and then if you want to give give of the overflow in the kabbalistic tradition it is taught that you cannot give more than 10% and you can only give 10% if giving that 10% does not hurt your well-being and your family's well-being but you cannot give more than 10% according to kabbalistic tradition and law because then you're giving selfishly you're giving out of greed and need for recognition and to make yourself feel better than others so it's learning these qualities and expressions of service and how that looks and if you keep focused on loving through your meditation and loving through self-study both the inner and the outer and focus on loving as the key thread of service you will always find yourself coming into balance in all those areas of your life but if you focus on other elements you will find yourself going out of balance and all of a sudden your wife or your husband's going to be going you never give me time anymore you're always so busy going over and doing this organization and taking care of these people and worrying about the neighbors and doing church stuff what about us what about me so it's realize that there is a flow to this action and it's finding that flow and living in that flow and recognizing your boundaries in that and living within that and don't expect yourself to do what your neighbor is doing maybe your neighbor is doing tremendous things in the world as well as with their family and that is their ability both inward and outward but maybe that's not who you are maybe you are one who focuses in a different way in a different expression and it doesn't have the grandeur that their life has let that be okay it's really the simple way that makes the difference and the simple way does not call itself forward into the world to get recognition to be known to be named to get rewarded or to get an award it lives to do the action because it loves being in the flow of loving that flow of loving that you first connect to by closing your eyes and going inside 
and connecting to that which you are, the divine, living, loving essence of the Lord. In this meditation, Jim will chant Anahu. You can join in if you wish. Hu is a Sanskrit word for God. It's where the word human, God in man or God in the body, comes from. And Ani is a Sanskrit word for bringing to you, to bring to you God, or bring to you the compassion or love of God into your life. Please be aware that there will be periods of silence in the meditation from which Jim will lead you out with a closing. So get comfortable, relax, and enjoy. So if you want to just close your eyes and bring your body into a comfortable position, one where you're relaxed but you're also supporting your body while you're in this inner experience. So just follow your breathing. Let yourself relax into the movement of your breath. Just feel yourself going into a deeper place of peace and quiet with each breath. Feel the day just falling away and feel yourself becoming more centered and more peaceful. Lord God, we open our heart, we open our mind, we open our souls. And in this opening, we move to a place of vulnerability. And in vulnerability, we invite you in to every part of our consciousness and beingness. We invite you into our conscious mind, into our unconscious mind, into every level of our being. And as we invite you in, we open to receive your blessings, your grace, your loving and joy. And we open to share our loving, our gratitude, our peace and joy with you. And as we move into this movement of spirit, of giving and receiving, we ask that your blessings go before us, assisting us in this walk of life, removing any and all disturbances and distractions, and assisting us in staying focused and centered into the truth of who we truly are, that divine, living, loving essence that is the spark of God within. We invite you into every action in our life. 
We ask you to assist us in bringing balance into our reactions. That those parts of ourselves that go into reaction receive your grace, your wisdom and understanding, so that our reactive nature becomes quiet and that we move more each day in an active, loving way. We open just now to receive your light and sound and the grace that comes forward in this action to uplift us into the divine knowing. And for all this we are grateful. And just now, bring your focus up to the third eye, up to the spiritual heart. And there for a moment, just focus and call present your own divine loving. Ask your loving to come present within you and to begin to move throughout your consciousness. You may feel this as a great warmth of loving moving through you. You may see it as a light growing brighter and brighter, radiating throughout your being. And you may know it as you call it forward from that great divine knower inside. Allow this loving to move into all the areas of your body and your consciousness where there is disturbance, where there is illness, where there is judgment, where there is fear. And let this loving go into those areas where there is darkness, 
and let this loving transform it all, bringing balance and healing, well-being and light and love and sound into every part of your being. And know that as you call it forward into action, it is done. Ask and it shall be given. So ask and allow in the asking for it to take place now for your highest good. And let this divine loving from your spiritual heart now extend out to all the areas of your life where your lessons are. With people and situations, both in the world and within yourself where the lessons lie. Let your loving go into those areas of your learning, those places of imbalance, those places of your karmic experience. And let this loving begin to transform it into a place of knowing and understanding and experience. And let all this action bring balance into these areas of your life. so that wherever there's a charged energy within yourself or in the world, see this loving now bringing quiet into this place and discharging the energy so that all goes quiet and neutral and loving. You may see this taking place with a loved one in the world 
or at work. Or with a good friend. And you may see yourself looking in the mirror and doing this with yourself. Forgiving, releasing, balancing, and going into a place of loving neutrality. And just ask the Holy Spirit to come forward in this action, to bless this action, and to move with this action so that it is fulfilled according to God's will and loving. And now bring your attention back up into the third eye. And from this seat of divine knowing, allow the light from within your own consciousness to begin to grow brighter and brighter. Allow the radiance of loving and knowing of understanding and wisdom to radiate throughout your being. Again, you may feel this as a great warmth. You may see it as a great light. And you may know it as a great awakening and a great stirring within your consciousness.
And in this time, we call forward the light, the loving of all those beings of great teachings, the great teachers that have gone before us, that have laid down the foundation of the pathway that we now walk. We call them forward to share their loving and their light with us in this moment as we share our loving and our light with them. And from this seat of the soul, look up and share your love with God. Share your loving, your gratitude. and open to receive God's loving and blessings.
And for all this, we are truly grateful. So begin to bring your awareness back here into this room. And as you're ready, you can open your eyes.